Welcome to the Bureau Briefing, a podcast by the Bureau of Digital, an organization devoted to giving digital professionals the support system they never had. Each episode, we're going to talk to a member of our community doing awesome, inspiring things. Now for your host, Carl Smith. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to the Bureau Briefing Podcast. It is Carl, and I am glad to be here. And I want to say thanks. I have received some comments about the show, and people are liking it. They're, they're appreciating the guests. They're appreciating the insights. And I just want to say thank you because I appreciate you. And I do have a favor to ask. When you're listening to the show, Subscribe to it if you don't mind. It really helps us out. And if you have just a few seconds, because that's really all it takes, leave a review. Let other people know what you think, and maybe they'll listen too, and we can all grow this thing together. That would be amazing. Thank you. Today's show, by the way, is amazing. We've got Chris Wilkinson on, and we're going to talk about design and design leadership and design thinking, and basically how we've had this westward expansion, this travel across this barren wasteland where there was no design, and now we've found our place. What are we going to do? How do we have to shift our thought process? How do we have to shift our perspective to take design leadership where it needs to be, an integral part of business? Before we do that, I have to share an integral part of our business, our sponsors. How is that for a segue? I want to thank Vogzi. Vogzi is, from cash to quote, the best way to run your creative services shop. It helps with all your operations and helps with all behind the scene things that keep things moving forward. And also, thanks to MailChimp. It is the marketing platform, and I've said it before, there's probably new stuff in there already. We use it at the Bureau, and it's an amazing way to stay in touch with everybody and to find out what everybody's thinking, because with the great analytics and the way we can see what's going on, we know what's resonating and what's not, and we can adjust our content to be more in line with what our audience wants, and you can do the same. And now, speaking of what our audience wants, let's get on with the show. You know, in this industry, It feels like waves happen. Sometimes it's a wave that's around how we design, like responsive, or a wave of how we build, like standards. But sometimes it's a wave around how we look at things. And at the Bureau, we have a fast-growing community of design leaders, and I reached out to them a couple of weeks ago and asked them, what are the biggest challenges to design leadership? I got back well over 100 responses, and I looked at them, and I kind of curated them and boiled them down into what I thought would be a good top 10 list and sent it out to people. And, you know, I had one response back that was so intriguing and felt so spot on that I wanted to invite the individual who wrote that to be on the show today, and he is the director of product design at DevBridge, a good friend of mine, Mr. Chris Wilkinson. How's it going, Chris? Hey, it's going great. Thanks for having me on. No, I'm, I'm glad you're here. And, you know, the thing that got me, first of all, when I'm going through the list and I'm looking at it, and, and we'll, we'll publish this as a blog post so everybody can see what the, the list was, but your take was none of these challenges should really be challenges if we start looking at things the right way, if we start approaching our jobs the right way. So if you don't mind, I'm going to put a little pressure on you right out of the gate. And just ask, when you think of design leadership and where we are right now, what do you think we should be doing differently? Well, I think I think it's two pieces. So first, I, I don't know that a lot of the activities that 
people do to promote design specifically need to change, but I think it's a change in perspective. And, and what I mean by that is, you know, the, the message and, and, the, and the white papers and the thought leadership that's been going on for the last 10 years has been great. And it's been about forging a path for design or getting design a seat at the table or making sure design's voice is heard and then trying to quantify that value. And I, I think there's a next gear that the industry needs to move into that just presumes design is a function in, in the same way that you presume a light switch turns on a light. And, and I think that's, <laughs> you know, that's, that's kind of the challenge for design leadership right now is, is to get out of that machete through the jungle mode and, and start to build up that sustainable foundation. So part of what I hear when, when you're saying this is so many people have had this sense of fighting for being respected, mm -hmm. fighting for being valuable, mm -hmm. that it's almost like the fight on the other side, say engineering and, and other aspects of a, a corporate environment, maybe they've relaxed a little but people are still kind of fighting <laughs> and instead of just settling in and starting to, to really understand how to become part of that bigger collective. Mm -hmm. And I think, I think there's a, an empathy that, that design can have there with a lot of these large organizations. And we talk about, especially design the context of a software team and a company that's kind of transform the way they work and move away from deadlines and, and move instead towards thinking about product, right? And thinking about funding product is design has a big role to play there, but it's it's pushing alongside everyone, right? I think there's a there 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 is a necessary behavior of being a little bit disruptive, being kind of that insurgent force, and and I think you know when I talk about design anymore with people, I talk about it as as a as a product team and not as design as its own thing or design has its own special value. It has a unique perspective. But but not but not something that's you know this this magic bottle where when you take the cork out everything gets amazing, you know it's it's about that sustainable that sustainable value for design. I think that that means changing the way that you talk about it, and and so the empathy with the other roles and sort of thinking of it as we're all pushing in the same direction is really important. So with anything that that explodes on the scene, and obviously design thinking and design leadership have have been here for a while. Mm -hmm. But the acceptance uh in specifically in business over the past few years seems to have really accelerated the pace with which people want design to be at the forefront of their organizations almost to the point where it occasionally felt like a marketing play. Like yeah. I, I'm not going to say any certain companies but they would promote so much how they were investing in design that it almost felt like they were not apologizing for the previous iterations of whatever right. they had done, but they were like, no, we get it now. We're going to do this. And then there was so much pressure based on the way that was set up that you, you see this accelerated pace where you end up with some people in roles that they may not have been ready for. Sure. I think, I think the, the investment piece is interesting. I, I use that analogy a lot of choosing your bets with product, right? And I think this is where, you know, we talk about specific ways design can change the way it's having the conversation. Uh, I tell, I would tell anybody, you don't need design. You don't need it. You don't have to have it. Design, you could build software and it will work and good, good on you and, and have a good time with it. 
I, I can't tell you if it's going to do what you want it to do. I can't tell you if it's actually going to make people's lives easier. I can't tell you if it's actually going to be more cost effective than not building it at all. But, but if you do engage with design, those are some of the things that the discipline offers you through building the empathy for the people that are accomplishing the task, through understanding the system the software is going to live in, and to understanding you know, the underlying business purpose behind it. And, and so that, that, that's kind of the, the angle or the lens that, uh, that, that, that I take to that landscape of investment. And, and to the way people have talked about it from the marketing angle, I mean, it, it almost became table stakes. You, 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 know, you know what I mean, Carl? It's like, uh, yeah. you know, uh, baseball game, now with grass, you know? And it's, it's, it's like, <laughs> like, yeah, yes, that's where we need to get, right? But, but we weren't there. We weren't there. There were people that were, you know, playing. I, I, I have to be careful about baseball because that's, that's, you know, personal passion of mine, go Cubs. But, you know, the the... The concept of that, right, is, 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 is where we need to get to, which is just so matter of fact. And, and we weren't there. And so many companies weren't there that when they got there, there was value in saying, hey, everybody, we've got this. We have it. We, yep, we have, a, we have a thing now that we didn't have before, and it was credentializing. Well, so when that internal rally cry mm -hmm. also becomes an external rally cry. Yeah. And then everything's under such a microscope, right? Right. Then it becomes the savior, for lack of a better word. Well, it, it can be, yeah, for sure. It, it, I mean, it, and with and with that, uh, with that kind of like hero image, it's not sustainable, right? Because whenever whenever a discipline or a group comes in and has that kind of initial investment, there's there's a bunch of low hanging fruit you can get value for really quickly. And I think when we saw a lot of these companies say, you know, design led companies are X, Y, Z more profitable? Well, if, if, you, if you follow that chart out, you know, from 2000 to 2010, it's really impressive. But if you follow those same companies from 2010 to 2019, the line flattens out considerably. And, and I think that's because that low-hanging fruit was realized and people realized that having design was just good business. You know, it's like having indoor plumbing. It's like having electricity. You should just have it. You can live without it. It's a little harder. But it, but your your quality of business, your quality of life, your quality of product increases by having it. Well, and it's interesting to take it and think about it. You know, you mentioned electricity, mm -hmm. and I, I remember studying a lot about advanced technologies. And one of the things that cracked me up was it, it was in the the nineteen oh one World's Fair. One of the things that they promoted was an electric door. Right, being able to open up a door with electricity, yeah. and people were saying steam is a perfectly good technology. Right, it's not going to get replaced by electricity. But the thing, the thing that got me was when you later realize that today electricity is one of those few advanced technologies because you only notice it when it's not there. Yep, it's an, and air conditioning this time of year. Yeah, exactly. Right, it's the exact same thing. It, and anything that has reached its place is only noticeable when it's not there. So mm -hmm. is that part of what you're saying with design? Like design should be inherent and, and maybe that's where we're getting to because it wasn't there before. Well, I, I think we're already there. And I think that the, the, the challenge isn't to progress further. The challenge is to change the way we talk about it and, and to talk about it as, as this established discipline and this established practice. Um, and if, if we talk about it that way, 
then we don't open up the conversation for whether or not it's involved. Because when you say, when you add design, it's amazing and it's super valuable, then you're having a conversation about, well, is it valuable enough? Right. But if you have a conversation of your team is healthier, your product is healthier, you can fund your products more nimbly. You can take, you know, say a 250K investment over a couple months, invest in a product, decide whether it works or not, and then continue that investment rather than throwing, you know, a $5 million chunk at something and hoping it works out, which is how business, that, that, that was business as usual, you know, for many years and at many companies it still is. But, but for design to, to, and really, you know, for product thinking, it, it means accepting that the arrival is there. And, 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 and I'm not sure if there was a party that people expected or, or if there was a, you know, a finish line or, you know, the confetti ball was going to drop. Um, but it's, it's, it's almost like, okay, now we've got to, now we've got to turn the, the focus a little bit more inward and say, well, we forged a path in here, everybody. Now, how are we going to make it so other people can get here too? Because if the next generation of design leadership tries to emulate what the current generation did, we're just going to have a whole bunch of machete people out there in the jungle trying to forge their own paths over and over again. And the discipline will never mature or reach another level. Wow. First of all, I did not even think about it that way. But there's nobody for the next generation to pattern off of because the first generation kind of blazed the trail. Yeah. So, I mean, the, if, you th- if you think about like, like the, the westward expansion of the U.S., right? That's what had- I was just thinking about, actually. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like we, we, had, we had to get out of the Oregon Trail at some point, Carl. So now, how do we help that next generation? Because that was one of the things that came back really strong mm-hmm. in the challenges was that there wasn't enough prepared talent. There weren't people who were ready to step in. Some people had been accelerated too fast, all this kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, But what is that process? I mean, it's not going to be universities. It's not going to be an education system. Those things always lag 10 years behind. Mm -hmm. So how does that happen? You know, Carl, if if you and I can figure that out in this podcast, we might have to. We're done. You know, we we might have to rethink the next couple of years of our lives, right? No, Uh, private islands, sipping mimosas. (laughs) I love you, Chris. Let's do it. The 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 reality is 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 the how do we solve that problem? Is to be honest with ourselves, and it's that no one organization has the silver bullet for this. And and when I look at the the kinds of things that I I see people talking about a lot right now, one of them is like designing performance management systems for designers. And I think that's incredibly important to get right because design is this discipline of multifaceted skills. And there are many different ways someone can be a good designer. And there are many different ways that a good designer can be recognized. But now that design is being integrated into companies, there's not really a clear way to interface them into the historical performance leveling, right? It's, it's, it's not like, oh, you are certified in wireframing and now you can be certified <laughs> in user research and then, then we're merit batching everyone, right? It, it, it starts with looking not so much at like how do we manage the performance, but it's how do we manage the growth? How do we create a space and a culture of growth? And I think a specific way that design leaders can do that is by making themselves vulnerable and by talking about it candidly about their career path and about how they got to where they were and, and their bumps and their bruises along the way. And, and saying, like, look, we were figuring it out live. This is something that I've, I've tried to do with, with my team, is whenever I give a solution in a conversation or a meeting, 
I'll say, hey, I, I just thought of that right now. I don't know if that's going to work or not. Or I did that before. The scenario was a little different. Your mileage may vary, right? Because there's there's other piece too where the current generation of design leaders are looked to as though they might be these oracles with the answers. And I think if you, if, if you get you know a group of design leaders together, this the same conversation is going to happen of, well, okay, we're here. Now, 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 now what? Oh, so it, this is taking me back to, to thinking about UX, right? Mm-hmm. I remember I was in a conversation once where somebody said, well, do we need UX? And I was like, only if you want people to use the product. Right. Because there's going to be an experience. You just decide if you want to craft it or not. <laughs> so yeah. it's going to exist either way. It, it was like when content strategy became a thing. Mm-hmm. And suddenly copywriters became content strategists, but they didn't have the background. Right. And so this, but then eventually there was a leveling. Like uh, there is now, when I see somebody who is a content strategist, I know that they are so much more. Mm -hmm. Whereas 10 years ago or five years ago, I would have been like, are you though? Are you? Right. So, So it's interesting to think about this with design leadership and where we are in, you know, and everybody's talking about design maturity and, and this type of stuff from a corporate perspective, but in terms of the role itself mm-hmm. and, and to, be, to make yourself vulnerable, to go back and say, these are the mistakes I made, these are the different places. But when I think about this next generation coming up, I mean, UX is a given. A lot of things are a given that maybe were part of the education for this generation of design leaders. This was part of what they lived through, mm-hmm. which also was something they fought for. So, so they truly have kind of been on this confrontational path the whole time. And, and it's, it's almost, it's hard to move out of that, right? When you're so used to having to document and, and the, the values. This is, this is, this is something that I've been thinking about a lot lately, which is, which is quantifying the value of having done something. And, and I'm starting to look at that a different way. And I'm starting to talk about it in terms of the risk of not doing it or the risk of doing it poorly. Uh, and, and, and the deviation in quality or the delta in quality, I should say, that would happen if you, if you shortcut design, if you shortcut research, if you shortcut content strategy. Um, it, I mean, to, to put it really simply, and, and you know, I, I, uh, I, I'm going to try to set the record for a number of analogies on, on the show here today. Um, but like Taco Bell exists for a reason. You know what I mean? Like Taco okay. Bell exists for a reason. And it has a very specific purpose in the world. You, you know what? You know what else does a, a backyard barbecue. But then, so does a Michelin star dinner. You know, and all of these things are all food. And I'm not going to try to make Taco Bell at home. It's going to turn out very, very different. I'm also not going to try to recreate a Michelin star meal at home. You know, I I, I want to stay happy at home. I, I you know I don't want to find myself alone. So, it's it's a it's 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 a balance there of of understanding and appreciating that quality and it's a quality that can be perceived and it almost comes off as too easy when it's done well which is why i think there's all of this popularity around these cooking shows now that go behind the scenes of the kitchen and show you all the intense work and the craftsmanship that goes into that food and and people really enjoy those programs for that reason as you're saying this one of the things that was that i was thinking about was Almost like design integration. Mm-hmm. It that's it feels kind of like that. Maybe that's part of the next step. It, you know, first it was getting in the room, and now it's just being part of the room. Mm-hmm. But but still with that disruptive nature, 
you know, still understanding because humans are going to change all the time, which means what they're looking for is going to change all the time. And, and the first thing that's going to give them a clue that the product has changed with them is the way that it feels. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think the, to, to kind of tie back to the earlier thread about what can we do to prepare the next generation, it's getting them to think differently about how, what it means to be a designer. Because I also think that there's a big push on design systems right now, which is building off of success with pattern libraries, which is building mm -hmm. off of success with atomic design, which is building off of success with having any kind of style guide, right? Having mm -hmm. any kind of style guide. So all, all, all of this stuff is, is sequential, right? So if design systems work and they take off and we don't have to do visual design as much anymore in the same way, what new activities are you unlocking for your team and are they trained and equipped to do those? And so I think there's a lot of focus necessary right now on equipping designers to think about the holistic side of design, think about service design, think about mapping out where a product fits in a larger ecosystem rather than just making sure there's technical excellence in typography and color, which, which is important, right? But, but it's a separate concern. It feels like there needs to be so much, I hate to say documentation, but, but something, because nobody's going to read it, right? No matter how much we write, but, but something that just kind of shows the path for how design plays in how it uh, integrates in. And it's going to be different with every organization, every team. Everybody's going to have those, those subtle differences. It's never going to be a Phillips head or a flathead screwdriver, right? It's not going to get to that level. Right. But it feels like, at least, even from business school perspective, which I didn't go, but, <laughs> but that you would see a design track that starts to talk more about design's place in business. Yes. And maybe that's where the design leaders of today can start to to change, to shift their focus, where they're thinking more about how they share design from the business perspective, but not with the business people. And, and I think that's been the thing. They've been, they've been defending themselves. They've been justifying their existence and, and reasonably so, right? because a lot of people didn't believe that it was worth it. They were trying to cut off that cost, but now it's almost time to, to kind of turn around now and then and say, Hey, this is why, this is how. You may change it. You may find other ways, but just pay attention to how we got here and what we're doing now. Absolutely. And it's, it, it's almost like you, you, you can't relive the past, right? And so, and so how do you equip people for the future? And, and how do you build a grow team when everyone's looking for somebody that has, you know, five to seven years of experience? <laughs> and I was like, what? I, I have bad news for you. Like, do you know how old iPhones are, right? Like, the number of people that, that got into this field, you know, when, when this really became a thing, they were, they were doing something else. And so, and, 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 the, and to your point earlier, the, it's very difficult for a university system to be set up because the, the industry and the landscape is changing so quickly. And so I, I find that as a design organization, you have to be comfortable teaching people skills if they have the right mindset and they have the right perspective. Because I find Shifting a designer's perspective about what design is supposed to be is much more challenging than teaching them a new skill or a new technique. It's, it's almost like we need 
continuing education, just like if you were a nurse or a doctor or, you know, even, I mean, digital PMs, when they get certified or, or PMI people, they have to do continuing education to make mm-hmm. sure they're paying attention. Maybe that's part of it too. It's it, like it, as it, things it, evolve. They, yeah. Yeah. I've, I mean, there's, there, there's, there's the old uh, design debate chestnut of should designers be certified. Right. And, and I'm not, I'm not going to try to decide on that either way. <laughs> that's a, that's another podcast and a half, but, um, but I, I think, I, I think it, it's really, it's just like a simple thing that people can do. So uh, giving, giving a very specific example of, of how I do this and uh, any, any potential designers who are interviewing to join the team and are really doing their homework are about to get a huge benefit. It's two questions that I ask in the interviewing process. And I asked people towards the end of the conversation, what is the most overrated thing about design? And it just puts them on their heels immediately because no one's really had to think about it. And I'm not looking for them to give a specific answer in that conversation. I'm looking to see what their thought process is and how they approach saying, well, this is why, you know, this is overblown and it gets way too much credit, and really, you know, you could probably stop at this phase, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, How, however it might be answered. But, but it's about, you know, what is your perspective on your own craft? Right. And then, and then the companion question to that is, okay, what's the most underrated and unappreciated thing about design that we still need to make space for? And then whatever that is, and then have a conversation about, great, how do we advocate for that better? Because, you know, I think, I think that will be the future of the people who make the foundation for design integrated in the business is the people that are thinking from that perspective, rather than the people who, who might come into a conversation and go, I want to do this. It's like, okay, why? Well, it's, it's a fun activity. Well, a design activity without an output's a game, right? So, so you, you got to tie it back to the value. So, and at that point, you've got them thinking more like the people running the business. Exactly. So I'm curious, what are your answers to those questions? What are what are my those those change about every four and a half hours? Um, okay. Well, it's five oh five p.m. Right, 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 <laughs> right, right. Right now, I would say the most uh, overrated thing about design is the the need to wireframe. Um, and, and and what I mean by that is, like, if you can go outside with sidewalk chalk and and communicate your idea to an engineering team or to the business, that's sufficient. But, but I've noticed a lot of uh, organizations tend to get really bogged down or even maybe even have a specific role who just does wireframing. And unless the problem space is sufficiently complex, I find it's a very easy place to get bogged down because what you end up doing is you're basically writing a visual requirements document. And we spent all of this time and energy getting away from BRDs and iterating on software we almost rob ourselves of the ability to iterate and learn when we're overly prescriptive in a wireframing phase. So the, the most underrated thing is skipping parts of the design process. And what, what I mean by that is to say is not to say willy-nilly skipping it, but, but saying, you know what, looking at the situation, I know we've been doing research every week. It looks like we can take a pause for one or two cycles. We're saturated with feedback. We haven't integrated it yet. Let's focus on integrating that feedback and then take something new and valuable out to the market and then get feedback on that instead. And I, I know the counter to that, and, and this is, I'm currently wrestling with it myself is, well, yes, but the reason you always do research is because you don't know what you're going to find. But I think, I think as designers integrating into the business, every business function needs to be able to account for how they spend their time. 
And I think a big part of long-term acceptance of design is design showing that it's willing as, as, as a business function. So design as a business function, showing that it's willing to be flexible about its own activities. It's changing perspective, isn't it? Mm-hmm. And realizing that <laughs> the Oregon Trail ended and we ended up in a pretty nice place. Yeah. And, and, and I, I don't know, maybe we're not going to stay here. You know, like we, we got out to Sacramento, we got, somebody has got to go up and start Portland, you know? So like, you know, it, 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 <laughs> I really do, do believe that if we stay in this conversation about having a seat at the table, if we stay in this mindset of design needs a voice, uh, if we stay in this mindset of, you know, forging paths, forging paths, we'll never build anything. And, and I think, when, when we talk about a learn, build, measure loop, right, we, we really think about it as, okay, integrating in the feedback. I think design as an industry is getting so much feedback right now about its place. There needs to be a little bit of that self-reflection and in integrating that into the approach. And I know there's been some pretty high-profile folks lately that have, you know, talked about a couple of the, the big challenges that, that we're facing. And as an industry, and I'm not saying we have to skip over that either, but, but I think it's a, it's a mentality shift that needs to happen because, uh, you know, it's it's funny the 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 example that keeps coming to mind is like if if somebody's having a good time, it's contagious, right? That's like if if you're if you're if you're watching theater or you're at a concert and you can tell the performers are having a good time, you're having more fun. And so as designers, I think if we also just share the joy of our profession openly and are not precious about it, and other people get to share in that excitement, they're naturally going to want to engage, and they're naturally going to want to integrate in design and then also keep it around. Well, Chris, thank you. Thank you for sharing uh, so much of, of what you believe and your thoughts on design and design leadership. Hey, Carl, th- thank you for having me and, and thank you for doing this. We're, we're, we're all better for this podcast being out in the world. I appreciate it. Everybody listening, I hope you got a lot of value out of this. I would love to hear from you on your thoughts and we will be back next week. We'll talk to you then. Bye.